0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now, here's Pastor Ben. Okay, so we're going to be in Psalm chapter 47. As I said, this psalm is written by the sons of Korah, which I don't have, we don't have the time to actually dig that out. But if, you, if that would be a good word study, if you ever want to dig more into the Bible, find out who the sons of Korah are, and you'll see God's grace all over that lineage. So of all the Psalms in the Bible, 11 of these Psalms are credited to the sons of Korah. So they express a longing for God, a deep devotion, right? These are poetic songs. It includes some of the songs that we put in the song today. Some of the songs, some of the Psalms, of course, are Psalm 42, 44 through 49, 84, 85, 87, and 88. These are chapters. So you may have known or heard of these songs without you really thinking about it because they were put in the songs, right? How about this one? Psalm forty two one is this beautiful line as the deer pants for flowing stream so pants my soul for you O God remember that song As the deer panthe for the water so my soul longs after you Yes that is a song that came from this song. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? That was the old, one of the oldest. Then what about Psalm eighty four one? It states this: "How lovely is your dwelling place, O God?" What about that one? Have you heard that song? Those are some great, awesome songs that actually stick in our mind because they're to music. But these, this is where the songwriters get it from. It's from the Psalms. Or what about Psalm forty six one? Two, three, one to three. It says this. It's a very powerful message. It says this. And you can find this in some of the cards, you know, Christian cards. It would have these scriptures in there. It says this. God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Have you heard of that song? It's some of those poetic songs. and some of those posts that people post on Facebook, not knowing where it came from, but it looks very beautiful, and it hits, like, right to the heart. So these are some of the psalms that the sons of Korah uh, penned. So before we do that, let's read the whole chapter 47. It's only nine verses, so don't worry about it. (laughs) Let's read together. I'm reading from the New King James. It says this. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us. And the nations under our feet, he will choose our inheritance for us. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Psalm 47 is another psalm written by the sons of Korah. It's just one of the psalms. And I title this message, Jesus Rules Now, right? Because Jesus is the ruler right this minute. Rather you know it or not, he rules. He's ruling from heaven. And we're going to find that out as we go through Psalm 47. So Psalm 47 can be divided in two sections. The first five verses describe God bringing man's rulership under his authority. That's when he comes again for, to rule on this earth. And while the last four verses describes God as king over the earth, and this king is King Jesus. So verse 1 and 2 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. At first reading this, it would seem that the psalmist is asking the worshipers to clap their hands for joy, Right? You know, when, you know, just being up here doing the music part of uh, the ministry, when we're up here singing, and then it finishes, when people clap, we're like, all right, they approve, yeah. In the flesh, they're approving, not you, but they're approving the words of God. So, when people, in this first reading, you'll seen that the psalmist is asking the worshipers to clap their hands for joy, but No. If we in the 21st century were called to clap our hands, we would think of it as a joyful cheer, right? When you're at a movie, it's awesome, you clap your hands. When you're at a wedding and the bride and groom leave, hands are clapped. It's a form of endearment showing you're happy for them or you're joyful. But let me tell you, that is not exactly what the word means in the Hebrew here. The Hebrew idiom to clap the hands in verse 1 normally means to strike hands with another individual confirming an agreement between them, between the two parties. So when we read this, we know that God, when they clap their hands, they're agreeing with God in this covenant. Now, this is the people of Israel, right? This is the people of Israel, So if this is the case, that clapping of hands, we're not approving of something. We're clapping. Back in this time, they're clapping their hands. They're agreeing with God on his covenant. And we're going to cover that here shortly. So if this is the case, then the psalmist is not asking for the applause of people. Rather, he's calling on the people to come to God and make an agreement with him. A covenant agreement. This call to be in agreement with God is the main point for the psalm, it starts off with the this psalm. This, this is where it solidifies what the psalm is all about. The reason for coming into this contract with God is because God reigns. Verse 2 makes this very clear. It makes this point, describing God as a great king over all the earth, right? God is the great king over all the earth. The psalmist does not declare that the Lord To be merely the God over Israel, which specifically it says here, but that God rules the whole entire earth. Ain't that amazing? We have rulers throughout history, kings and kingdoms that come and go, but God is the one true ruler that rules kings. Jesus taught this very concept to Pontius Pilate. So if we go to John nineteen ten eleven, 11, I want to make this point here. Okay, so Jesus taught this very concept to Pontius Pilate, right? Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor over Judea, remember, as we were going through the book of uh, Matthew, Pilate, desiring for Jesus to make a defense, asked Jesus if he knew that he had the power to crucify him, to kill him, or to release him. And remember what Jesus, Jesus responded, and he said this. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, and he said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So right here, Pilate thinks he's in control of Jesus, but Jesus just... Let's him know who the real ruler is. So God is the real king who has given power and authority to the rulers of this earth. We have governors, we have countries, even now we have different countries, we have um, governments all over the world that are ruled by governments. But eventually Jesus is is going to come back and establish his kingdom, and his is the ultimate governor government. So we see that God is the real king who has given power and authority to the rulers of the earth. So, also in verse 2, in the context of this psalm, it's fitting for us to know that God, that God to be called the Lord the Most High, right? It says right here, for the Lord Most High, in verse 2, for the Lord Most High is awesome, he is a great king over all the earth. So the language here, what the psalmist is clearly stating is that there is no one or no thing higher than God. Back in this this time they have many kingdoms, they have many kings, they're fighting with uh different, you know, tribes and nationalities because they were coming in and you know, we can get over all that in the Old Testament. And God says all these kingdoms here, they are nothing. We need to recognize in verse 2, that the Lord is the most high. So the language here clearly states that there is no one, no thing higher than God. There's nothing higher than Jesus. No one is higher than God. And to acknowledge the Lord as the most high is to submit to God's authority, right? If you say, Jesus, you are my God, you are my king, you are my Lord, We, as his servants, need to submit to his authority. We can't just say that, God, you are God, you are Lord of my life, Lord, I really do love you. And then we read about in scripture the things that we are to do and not do, and just completely throw that out the window. He's telling us, hey, Israel, you confess that God is Lord, why don't you act like it? Right? If he's Lord of your life, why don't you obey him? Why aren't you obedient to his words? Wrong is wrong, right is right. I'm not going to be up here like telling you how to live. Well, God's going to tell us how to live our lives, right? So this language clearly states that there is no one, nothing is higher than God. God is awesome, God is king. Therefore, we come into agreement with this awesome king, this awesome God, and we agree with him that we are going to be under his rulership, under his lordship. It's not good for us to say that we're believers, and we don't obey him. Right? It's not good for us to say, Lord, you're God. And we're worried all the time. What does he tell us about worrying? God, I give you this concern. God, my relationship here, I give it to you. God, my kids are going off the rails, I give give them to you. God, I give it to you. This financial issue I'm going through, God, I give it to you. Is he Lord or not? Is he Lord or not? Now we see in verse 3 and 4, it says this. God, he will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Subdue is to conquer and to bring into subjection, right? So when God comes and he subdues this world, this earth, he's going to bring everything down to what he wants done. What he wants accomplished. He is the king. He is God. We are not. But yet, Jesus calls you, his church, if you've given your life to him, his brothers and sisters. How awesome is that? Instead of like my servants, which we are his servants, but he is our brother, our, he's our great brother. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. The Father has given Jesus, he's given us everything that Jesus has. Pastor Ben talked about mic drops. That's a mic drop. That is mind-blowing that the God of the universe gives us everything that Jesus has. We may not see it on this earth right now. We may not experience the fullness of all that is. But that's what his word tells us. So those who do not come into an agreement with God will be subdued. When Jesus comes back, he's going to subdue every tongue, every knee will confess. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God. You may not do it now, but you will be subdued. (laughs) I don't care how smart you are, how many degrees you have, how many millions you have, billions you have. You will come and say, Jesus, you are God. You are Lord. And I bow down at your feet. Those who do not not come into agreement with God will be subdued. Okay, This is an illustration through the conquering of the nation of Israel. Remember, nations were were not destroyed simply to give a place for Israel as God was bringing them out of the wilderness. Remember that, guys? To give place for Israel to live, nor to expand its borders. God was bringing judgment on these nations because of their wickedness. God wasn't being a bully and saying, oh, we're just going to go in and take these lands and take these people and kill all of them. The reason why is there was so much evil in those lands. It needed to be judged. God was bringing judgment on these nations because of their wickedness, guys. The people who lived in the land of Canaan required judgment. Therefore, God used Israel to bring this judgment, destroying the peoples and giving the land as an inheritance to Israel. So to bring about this nation, right? So Israel is forming. To bring about this nation, God subdued the people of Israel. Where where were they enslaved for 400 years? Egypt. God subdued them. The Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. We've seen the movie. We've heard it. God subdued him. Oh, and he was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And what did God do? Your little power. That's how awesome our God is. So the peoples who live in the land of Canaan require judgment, right? So God subdued the people of Egypt. God then subdued, listen to this, if you read the Old Testament, I love history and I love the Old Testament. Man, it's so rich, it all points to one thing. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. God subdued the Amalekites, remember that? He took care of Egypt. He took care of the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Knights, whatever nights, and any other people that came up against Israel. Any people, any nation that came against Israel, God subdued them. Because Israel was in an agreement, a covenant with God. God says, you obey me, I'm going to take care of all your whatever you guys go through. But the minute you stop being obedient to me... Y'all want to try to handle it yourself? I'll let you handle it yourself. And we could see that, what happened after that. So God used Israel to bring judgment. So God continued this conquering of people while the people remained in the covenant relationship with him. When the people broke the covenant with God, they suffered. Remember the Assyrians, the Babylonians came in? Took him captive, destroyed the land because Israel was no longer obedient. How about us? God lives in us. God walks with you and I every single day of every single second. That should sober us in the way that we live, right? The way that we live. We represent a king. God subdued the nations and chooses his people when his people remain in agreement with him. Amen? God's ascension. So we see in verse 5, let's read verse 5. 47.5. 47.5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, 5 and 6. In verse 5, we read that God has ascended with a shout. So this is this likely was a reference to the glory of God rising up. It's the same Hebrew word, listen to this, to which the ark of the covenant would be lifted up and the people would shout and follow the cloud of God till it stopped. Remember that? They were in the wilderness. When they had to move, God moved first, and they followed. So to which the ark of the covenant would be lifted up, and the people would shout and follow the cloud cloud of God till he stopped. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 34 to 36, it says this. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the cloud of the Lord was over them by day and when they set out from the camp. Whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, "Arise, Lord, arise, Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and those who hate you flee from your presence." When it came to rest, he would say, "Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israels, Israel." Numbers 10:34:36. So we see that God leads Israel through the wilderness through the conquering, and even now he leads Israel. When God rose up, it would be to defend his people and conquer their enemies. The reason why Israel conquered so many enemies in other nations was not because of their own doing, but because God was in the midst. It was God who conquered them. They just benefited from what God was doing. It's like us being benefited from what Jesus has already done. Jesus died for you and I, seated next to the Father, interceding for us. And we benefit eternal life with him forever because of what he's done. This is why so many Psalms are prayers calling to God to rise up and defend We've experienced that, as Pastor Ben was going through the Psalms of David. How many times David cried out to God, God, take them out. Kill them, God, they're against me. He's probably feeling, I'm the only righteous guy, God, please be with me. Take, those, take my enemies out. This is why so many Psalms are prayers calling for God to rise up and defend. You know, this picture, this imagery began with the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of the Lord rising up against the nations as they went into the promised land. And we see that as we go through the Old Testament. We see that. So verses 6 and 7, God reigns as we see here. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. So in verses 6 and 7, the psalmist calls upon the people five times. When somebody calls you and says, five, you know, somebody calls my name five times, they're trying to get my attention, right? God is calling these guys, and he's saying five times to sing the Lord's praises. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Sing praises. Let the praises never cease to the Lord. Let your praise never cease to the Lord. Never get into a place in your relationship with God, your walk with God, that you are complacent that you think everything is okay because you're well and you're just going doing life and life is good and we get to that place where we become very complacent we take we become we take advantage we're like we're like god's always going to be there no 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 god is always there but he paid a price for you and i The reason for the call when he says that sing praises five times is to command to sing is because God is king of all the earth, right? Is God king of your life? Is God king of your life tonight? You have to answer that question. Is there things in your life that you have to take care of? Like you know what it is. I don't have to tell you. Your conscience tells you. The Holy Spirit that lives in you, tells you. So God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. And this is in verse 7. It says, For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. So we see that God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. This statement has a picture that God is actively ruling over the earth. Even today, guys, God is not described as asleep. He's not in his bed asleep, right? What is he doing? He's sitting on his throne. He's sitting on the holy throne reigning over the peoples. Back then and even now, that's what he's doing. This was the great hope of Israel as they believed God was with them, conquering for them and protecting them from all harm. That's the same with us, guys. Brothers and sisters, that's the same with us. God walks with us. Regardless of what you go through, regardless of the difficulties of life, God walks with you. So let's look at verse 9. It says, The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So the peoples of the earth have become the people of God. Verse 9 says this. It concludes the psalm by speaking about how the pagan peoples, you and I, yes, we are pagan. We were Gentiles. We are Gentiles, lost, right, compared to what it says here. In verse 9, concludes that the psalm speaking about how the pagan peoples have become the people of God. Praise you, praise you, God. The princes, the princes are representatives of the people of the earth. Now are the people of God. So some commentators uh, think that this is a prophetic statement that has not been fulfilled yet. I don't think so. I believe we can see that the people of Israel were looking towards the Messiah, forward to the Messiah, as they sang these words and offered God this praise, right? They were looking for their Messiah, the King, King Jesus. So right now, I would just want to bring an application to this, and I want to tie this in by going into a lot of verses in the New, New Testament to make this point. The ultimate reality in Psalm chapter 47 is Christ is coming for Israel, as they were looking forward to. For us, Christ is has come and conquered death, and we are here tonight because of it. So as we look over this psalm, we must remember that the Jews understood the psalms not only in their history context, but also in the current context right here of what they're going through, and also the messianic context, right? As Pastor Ben always says, we always have to look at the Bible in context of what that passage of scripture or what the uh you know the bible has to say we have to bring it all and we have to understand the context the meaning of it so after this psalm was written the jews throughout the world throughout time would apply these words to their current situation while recognizing that its meaning was originally in the past but the jews believed that the ultimate fulfillment of these scriptures right here psalm 47 the words would be found in the messiah Jesus has not appeared yet. They were looking forward to that. And I believe this is certainly true for Psalm 47. They were looking forward to the Messiah. So taking this view of the Messiah, we see that Jesus, the Messiah, would be the king over all the earth, right? And he and he will be subduing or bringing all the nations, all the kingdoms under his rulership. I don't care how powerful your kingdom is or how many guns you have, how many bombs or whatever, he's going to bring all that un- under his rulership. So the Jews believe that the ultimate fulfillment of these words would be found in the Messiah, Jesus. So taking this view of the Messiah, we see that Jesus the Messiah would be king over all the earth. They were looking forward to that because they were looking for the king to come down and reign. And they would be the ones that would reign the earth with this king, with the Messiah. And sadly enough, they're still looking for that Messiah, which they totally missed. Because he's already come and he's already ruling So taking the view of the Messiah, we see that the Messiah will be the king over all the earth, subduing the nations under his feet. This helps gives us a perspective and understanding as to why the Jews expected the Messiah to free them from the Roman Empire, right? Remember, we go into the New Testament, and the Jews expected the Messiah, Jesus, to rule over the kings of the earth by overthrowing Rome. That's why they rejected him. They're like... What are you talking about? This king is supposed to be our king. We're supposed to have our kingdom here on this earth, but a greater kingdom they missed. My first point I want to make is Christ is the king. Jesus declared himself to be king, right? John 18.37, Jesus answered. John 18.37, 36.37, uh, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servant would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So this right here tells us he was not the king the Jews were expecting. When the Jews read read that the Messiah would be king of the earth, they assumed he would be king of. By physical means, and that's what they were expecting when Jesus came into the scene, and that's why a lot of them just, you know, blew him off. Like, who is this crazy nut? But Jesus declared, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight for me." But that wasn't the kingdom Jesus was talking about. He was talking about a greater kingdom. Also, the apostles, let's, let's, let's back this up with some scriptures. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, the apostles recognized Jesus as king even after his death. And this is what it says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. First Timothy chapter 6, 15 and 16 says this, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is blessed and only only approachable, the king of kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom the honor and everlasting power. Amen. First Timothy 6:15 6, and 16. Jesus is the kingly Messiah, but not the kingdom of this world but not a kingdom of this world right however the messiah does rule over the kings of the earth from where from heaven for he is right now he is the ruler of this earth even now even now we see there's many king there's many governments many nations that think they rule what they rule God allows it christ's kingdom Ephesians 1 20 and 21 says this as he, as he puts the scriptures up. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah, Jesus, by raising him from the dead, the Father did, and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, No, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put everything under Jesus' feet. The Father God has put everything under Jesus' feet. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21 says that. So this kingdom was promised by Daniel concerning the Messiah. All this was prophesied before Jesus even appeared on the scene. In Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14, it says this. Daniel says, I continue watching in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's the father, and was presented before him. He was given authority to rule and glory in the kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed, Daniel seven thirteen fourteen. 14. This was prophesied before even Jesus appeared on a scene. This is what they were looking forward to, but they missed Jesus. They missed him. And how many people today miss him? They're looking at everything else. We have many different religions. People are searching. People are looking. What we need to do as a church is point them to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. That's why we preach Jesus. That's why every time I come up here, it's always tied in to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Psalm 47, they They're writing, they were looking for the Messiah, they're looking for Jesus, but they missed them. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's fascinating. So it's it's kind of surprising to me that in the midst of all the descriptions of God ruling is the ruling is the imagery of God ascending, right? 47 5. God has gone up with the shout, the Lord with the sound of trumpet. The reason this is fascinating is because it is at the ascension, listen to this, this blew my mind away. The reason this is so fascinating and so exciting is because at the ascension of the Messiah, Jesus, that he would receive an everlasting kingdom from the Father and have everlasting dominion. Daniel seven thirteen 13, 14, which we have read, prophesied that. Daniel, in his vision, seeing the Son of Man, Jesus the Messiah, coming in the clouds to the Ancient of Days, the Father. You know, but when we view this psalm in the messianic, when we see Jesus in this psalm, Psalm 47, we kind of, I believe the psalmist wants to point people to the Messiah because he wants to make sure that, he's, that all of us are pointed to Jesus and nothing else. Not governments. Nothing else but Jesus. So when we view this psalm in the messianic context, because they were looking for the Messiah to come, we can see that the peoples of the earth have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. This psalm is not picturing every person who is alive being a servant of God. Rather, this picture, it is picturing what people are able to do that did not exist before. Right? Under the reign of the Messiah, the peoples of the earth, us Gentiles included, along with the Jews, the people of Israel, can now assemble themselves, us, as the people of the God of Abraham. We were afar off. God has a chosen people, Israel. And he brought us near to him because of his son, Jesus. That right there should tie this Psalm 47 with we as believers today, because we were the Gentiles. We were far off. Now we can assemble with the people of the God of Abraham. To be the people of the God of Abraham is to be Israel. Now, all people, including Gentiles, would have the opportunity to call Israel the people of God. Let me make my point there, because God's not done with Israel, right? The Bible clearly states that. We are grafted in with God's people. And he's telling them, hey, there's going to come a time when God's going to open up his grace, his mercy, his love, and bring many, many people, not just you, Israel, He's using you to bring the nations to himself. So Romans 9, 6, 8, look at this. Paul made a point here a couple times. As we look at Romans 9, 6 through 8, it says this. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of, Of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Can you see that? The reason why Israel existed is because the Messiah. King Jesus was coming through that lineage. So Paul says that not all of physical Israel was the true Israel because being God's people was not about physical descent, but about being a child of the promise through the seed that birthed forth Jesus through obedience to God. Paul explains this further in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 20. If you want to turn there, I'll start reading. So it says, Ephesians 2, 11 to 20. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, you and I, called the uncircumcised, by those, who, by those called the circumcised, the Jews, done by, done by hand in the flesh. At that time you were without the Messiah. Excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise with no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Amen. Amen. We have been brought near by the blood for Jesus is our peace who made both groups. Both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh he did away with the law of the commandments and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace he did this so that he might reconcile both the Jews Gentiles all the peoples of this world to himself reconcile both to god in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it when christ came he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were a who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. We see that Christ has fulfilled Psalm 47, nine, reconciling all people to himself, making them all the people of the God of Abraham. Now, does Psalm 47 have a new meaning for you as you read it? It had a new meaning for me as I went over this. I'm like, wow, God is great. And now we come to the close. Here's the main point. Jesus rules now. Jesus rules now. Do you believe that? Do you believe when the circumstance happened in Uvalde? Do you believe Jesus rules now? Do you believe when those migrant workers that just yesterday, 53 or 52, do you believe Jesus rules now? Do you believe the war in Russia, the the war in Ukraine, the, the craziness that's happening over there, the genocides that are taking place in the Middle East, in China, in the third world countries that we have no understanding about, do they believe Jesus rules now? Do we believe Jesus rules now? What is your hope? The overwhelming message and hope in Psalm 47 is that God is currently ruling. Jesus rules now. God did not set up Israel and leave them to deal with the powers of the world, right? He didn't set up Israel just to deal with their own problems. When verse 8 says God sits on his holy throne, it means that God is currently in charge over the affairs of the earth right now. Not only the affairs of the earth, but the affairs in your life. Do you believe that? Does it make you want to worship God even more? It should bring new meaning to Psalm 47. So in the same way, what does it mean for Christ to reign on the throne? It must mean the same as in the context we are reading in this psalm, right? Christ is reigning over the nations now, guys. Christ is not like the monarchy in England, right? They have rulers in England, but it's just for face. There's really no power behind that ruling. You know, they have the king of Tonga, you know, the, the hierarchy in Tonga, but it's just for show. There's no power behind that king. Christ is not like that. They're just figureheads, representatives, but with no real power. The real meaning is that Christ, the Christ, has power and control over the nations of the earth, even right now. Has power and control over your life, even right now. This was the very point being made in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, after describing the Son of Man ascending and receiving the kingdom from God the Father. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people. The holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be the everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will serve and obey him. Daniel 7.27 Guys, do you get this? The struggles that you go through. Who is ruling your life? Is it you? You're trying to rule your life? Or do you let God rule your life? because he rules the kingdoms there's many nations in this world right many many governments but god rules every kingdom christ is in cho- jesus is in charge of all the nations now guys this is not a subtle point that paul made in romans 13:1 it says Everyone, in Romans 13, one says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. So all the governments that we have today, no matter how messed up they are, no matter how crazy it is, they're all instituted by God. So why do we... Why do we have to worry about what our mess-ups the government does? Ultimately, God controls all those things. Just as God made the nations rise and fall in the Old Testament, remember Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, those were nations and kingdoms that we no longer hear about today. So also God has made nations rise and fall in the New Testament. Remember Rome, Jerusalem, all the kingdoms that came after Rome, where they are now. But who's still in control? Who rules from heaven? Jesus. God still institutes governments and destroys governments. We don't understand it. We may not like it, but God is in control of China. He's in control of Russia. He's in control of Israel. He's in control of the United States of America. America. Just as God made the nations rise, he brings them down. This is a message of hope to the holy ones of God. This is a message of hope to you and I, the holy ones of God. We are part of his kingdom. We are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken and will never end. Hebrews 12, 28 tells us that. We need to think more about the rule that we are truly under, right? Right? While we live in the United States of America and we think it's the best country in the world we are under the rule of Christ we are fellow heirs and fellow partakers in the true kingdom of this earth that's Jesus kingdom because he's going to come down and he's going to set things straight all these governments think they have it right We're going to see what righteousness is all about when he comes down. We know how the story ends. As we went through the book of Revelation, we know how that ends. We know how it ends. So, therefore, let me just leave you with this. We need to clap our hands. We're not clap. Yep. We need to clap. When we clap our hands in in Psalm chapter 47, we're agreeing with God. We're agreeing with him. It's our covenant with God that he is our God. He is our Lord. We are not to clap our hands in applause, though we ought to. We appreciate God for what he has done for us, giving us such a kingdom. Rather, we are to clap our hands with God. We need to be in agreement with his covenant. My question to you and I is, are we living like citizens of God's kingdom or like citizens here on earth? It's our choice as to which kingdom we belong to, right? If you've given your life to God and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, he's not only your God, he's your Lord. There's things in the Bible that he tells us to do, things in the Bible he tells us not to do. He empowers us to accomplish those things. Is he Lord? Are you here tonight? Are you struggling? Are you you complacent about your walk? Is it not exciting to you anymore? January 2000, I gave my life to God. Or God found me when I was lost. 30 years old. By the grace of God, I'm 52 this year. Just turned 52. But I chose a long time ago, I was going to bow my knee and confess that he is God. My encouragement to you is, if you haven't done that tonight, what are you waiting for? Pastor Ben gives an invitation every single service. No matter if there's two people in here, which we've never had two people, praise God. Probably five back in the days. Tali was there. She was one of the five. <laughs> but God is so awesome, guys. Read. I encourage you. I challenge you this week. Read Psalm chapter 47 in a new light. The covenant that we gave, that we come into with God because of Jesus. He's made us alive. Whatever you're going through this week, if your walk is awesome, praise the Lord. If you're struggling, you're here at the right time because God is speaking to you. If you don't know God, you're here at the right time. If you're indifferent about God, you've already chosen. What does that mean? You've chosen to reject him because you haven't made a decision to follow him. I can see these young, our young people here. It just blows me away to see them. Wednesdays, Sundays, right? Young people. And then they bring their mom. And then she gets saved. That's what it's all about. what it's all about let me pray and uh, Tolly will sing us out if you haven't given your life to God I invite you to give your life to him tonight don't wait on it don't think about it do it don't say I gotta go home and clean myself up you're never gonna be ready never Jesus takes you like he took me 30, when I was 30 years old with all my mess, all my faults, all the sin I was living in, changed me. And then he moved me to Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> out of all the places in the world. to come alongside Pastor Ben. We were on 34th Street, and I'm not kidding. We had probably five people. That's including my family and his family. And a few others. And look what God has done. Pastor Ben, when ministry gets tough, look what God has done. Look what God has done in your life. Right, Talia? Look what God has has done in Talia's life. It's only by His grace. We all have a story. You have a story. I have a story. As Psalm 47 pointed to the Messiah, to Jesus... I challenge you, look to him. If you haven't made him Lord and Savior of your life tonight, do not leave this place. I am giving you, you're not going to have any excuse leaving here tonight. That's why I'm so thankful for our pastor who's bold enough to challenge people, especially new people. When, you come, when people are new here, they're like, what am I getting myself into? That's the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing them here, him being obedient to give the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Jesus came, he is God, he died, he conquered death, he rose, he's in heaven, he's ruling now in this world, rather people like it or not, he's ruling in your life, whether you like it or not, he is in control of all things. So leave here with hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, it's only you and your word that brings change, everlasting change to anybody who's looking. God, and I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here. And God, I just want to give an invitation. I want to be faithful, as Pastor Ben is always faithful, to give the gospel message. If you are lost, if you don't know Jesus tonight, If you have been far away from him and you're playing church, you're playing Christianity, you're playing religion, come to Jesus tonight. If that is you, please raise your hand. I will pray with you. I will pray with you. Most of you I've seen here, most of you have dedicated your lives to God, but are you fully aware that God came and Jesus came to give you an abundant life? We are citizens of heaven. We belong to God. Whatever struggles that you are going through tonight, God is here. He's already met you where you're at. If you need encouragement tonight, if you need to be renewed in your walk tonight, please raise your hand and I could pray with you along with myself. We should all be raising our hands in this place. Psalm chapter 47, the Messiah that Israel was looking for, he came, he conquered. Praise you, brother, on the right. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for you, for your unbelievable, amazing love tonight. Thank you, God, for your people here at Calvary Chapel. I pray, Father, that you would grow us up spiritually as a church, physically in numbers, that we would make a mighty impact in the city of Lubbock. You didn't call me out from California to here, Pastor Ben from New Mexico to here, people from Oregon, from all walks of life here to Lubbock, Texas, just to be comfortable in our walks. God, you called us for a mission. And what is our core values here at Calvary Chapel? Love God, love people, live radically. That's what we want to be, your people. I pray you encourage us tonight. Thank you for the challenge tonight. Thank you that you walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.